Well, it was the moment of truth. I put the key into the car, I turned the ignition, and to my surprise, the engine started. See, when I was 20, I decided I would change the engine in my car. I wasn't a mechanic, I'd never had any training. I just had this book, this is the actual book that I bought from Super Cheap Auto. And on page 18, there are 16 steps on how to change the engine. And so step by step I went through. One, mark around the bonnet hinges with a pencil to facilitate replacement and remove the bonnet. All the way down to 16, attach suitable lifting tackle to the engine, remove the bolts securing the front mountings and carefully lift the engine through the bonnet opening. Well, I carefully followed all those steps. And then I fixed the problem, which was the Welsh plugs. Then I put it all back together, which was harder because the instructions simply said, installation is reversal of removal procedure. <laughs> so I went from 16 back to one. Connected everything back up. Then the moment of truth. Will this car actually work? I've got five or six bolts left over. Do they matter? <laughs> I'd done my best. The moment of truth, I turned the key and it worked. Amazing. Ever had a moment of truth like that where you've done the work, but will it actually work? Exodus 40 is Israel's moment of truth. They have done all the work. They have built the tabernacle according to God's instructions. The big question, though, is will God actually come and dwell with them after all they've done wrong? Now, in one sense, it's a no-brainer. Of course God will dwell because he said he would. Way back in Exodus 25, God said, Have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So all Israel need to do is follow the instructions step by step, make the tabernacle, and God will come and dwell. But on the other hand, a lot has happened since God made that promise, including chapter 32, where Israel completely disobeyed God and worshipped a golden calf, and then God struck them in judgment with a plague. And so surely if you're an Israelite, you'd be wondering, what now? Do we still even build the tabernacle or have we blown it? When I was growing up, um, sometimes my parents made a promise, like this afternoon we'll go to the park to play or this afternoon we'll go out for a special treat, have some ice cream. So if we had a morning promise of let's go out for ice creams, but then my brother and I spent the entire morning drawing all over the walls, ripping the lounge chairs to bits, dumping mud on the carpet, and then we're busted right in the middle of it, there'd be no ice creams that afternoon. It's no use saying, but you promised. Now, after all the promises of God, Israel have basically abandoned him. And there was an if in God's promise of Exodus 19, if you obey me fully, and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Well, Israel have not obeyed that if. So after disobeying God so badly, have they blown it? Is it worth even building the tabernacle? 
Well, yes, it is, because right at the start of this last section of Exodus, after the golden calf, God actually comes and tells the Israelites to continue with the plan. Build the tabernacle. Look at Exodus 35, verse 4. Exodus 35, verse 4. Exodus 35.4, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and so on. Verse 10, all who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its covering and so on. In other words, after the golden calf, God now tells Israel to go ahead, build the tabernacle. Can you believe it? After all Israel have done, God still wants to dwell with his people. And that's what these last uh, chapters are about. Exodus 36, 37, 38, 39 are Israel building the tabernacle. Reading it, though, makes you feel a bit like you've put your bookmark in the wrong place because it sounds like an almost exact repeat of chapter 26 and 27, 28 and 29. It is almost an exact repeat. There are just a couple of slight changes, though, the main one being instead of saying, you will make, it's saying, and they made. Because instead of commanding them to be built, they're building it. So, for example, I mean, you could read any part of these four chapters, but let's just have a look at chapter 37. Chapter 37, verse 1. If you've read through these chapters during the week, you'll find really they're just all like this. They're a description, a very detailed description of all the tabernacle being built. 37.1. Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long. A cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. He overlaid it with pure gold, both inside and out, and made a gold moulding around it. He cast four gold rings for it and fastened them to its four feet, with the two rings on one side and the two rings on the other. Then he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold, and so on. And he made, and he made. These four chapters go on and on like that, a very detailed description of the Israelites building the tabernacle. Detailed because it wants to point out that Israel did it exactly as God told them to. And just in case we missed it, right at the end, Exodus 39, verse 42, skip to the end now, Exodus 39, 42, after a very detailed description of them building it exactly, Exodus 39:42 we read The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work and saw that they had done it just as the Lord had commanded. So Moses blessed them. They actually get it right this time. Israel actually do what God says. 
And then chapter 40, Moses sets it all up. And then chapter 40, verse 33, down towards the end of the chapter, it's the moment of truth. I mean, after working on my car for 12 hours or a bit longer, I was nervous about whether it would start, especially as there was five or six bolts left over. Israel have been building the tabernacle now for almost nine months. It was three months when they, in Exodus 19, when they were commanded uh, to start building it. Then there was 40 days or so, or a bit longer. And it is now the first day of the second year, we find out. They have been building this for a bit under nine months. What will happen? Exodus 40, 33. Moment of truth. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What struck me as I was preparing this is how quickly we go from verse 33 there to verse 34. Moses finished the work and then the glory of the Lord fills the tent. Now you've got to understand this is what the whole book of Exodus has been building towards. This is the big ending. This is the final scene. And you'd be almost expecting some kind of who wants to be a millionaire moment where the tension is in the air and everyone is waiting and they're standing around the tabernacle. Will God come? There's the drum roll. There's Moses looking around. Israel's starting to wonder. There's this something on the horizon. Is that God? It gets bigger and bigger. And it's not like that, is it? There's not even any prayers. Lord, we've, we've done it now. Please come. There's no sacrifices. There's no music. It is just Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It's as if God was there waiting and as soon as Moses finishes the work, God's there. It's like the, the Maya Boxing Day sale. The moment the doors are open, the shop's full. Will God come and dwell among his people? Absolutely he will. There is no doubt about it. There is no hesitation. Because this is what God has been working towards in the whole exodus. God dwelling with his people. Which is amazing if you think about it, that after all Israel have done, God still wants to come and live amongst them. No hesitation. Because as you think back over the Exodus series, Israel have a pretty bad track record, don't they? I mean, don't look them up, but let's just think about it. Exodus chapter 6, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement. They wouldn't even listen to God. But he still wants to live with them. Exodus 14, Israel said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? Didn't we say to you, leave us alone? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Grumbling and complaining, but God still wants to live with them. 
Exodus 15, the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? God still wants to live with them. Exodus 16, in the whole desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said, if only we had died in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They're accusing God of bringing them out to kill them. God still wants to dwell with them. Exodus 17, the people were thirsty for water. They grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? All they've done is grumble. God still wants to live with them. And then in Exodus 19, after Israel said, we will do everything the Lord has commanded us last week, we saw that they replace God with a golden calf. And they bow down and worship an idol. But God still wants to live with them. He never gives up. And in Exodus 40, God finally dwells with his people. And notice it's not just that he's in the tent. He is continually in their sight, leading them all the time. It's wonderful. Look at verse 36. Chapter 40, 36. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Exodus ends with God continually in the sight of his people. All they have to do is look towards the tabernacle and they can see the presence of Yahweh. How comforting would that be? There is no longer any doubt. Where's God? Has he forgotten us? Is he going to feed us? Is he going to give us water? Will he protect us? Yes, he will. He's right there. Just look in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. It's a great ending to the book of Exodus and to our entire series. But it's more than just a good ending to Exodus. It's actually a great encouragement to us. See, as we read on in the Old Testament and then into the New, this idea of God dwelling or God tenting or tabernacling with his people It comes up a couple of times in the New Testament. I've written them on your bulletin. The first one is in John chapter 1, verse 14. Don't turn there. We'll just look at it really quickly, just for the sake of completeness. John 1, 14 says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And literally it says, the word became flesh and tabernacled, tented among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, in the person of Jesus, God just didn't come in a cloud. He took on flesh and he dwelled among us. And if you were there, you could have seen him, you could have touched him, you could have talked with him. And that 
God coming to dwell, God tabernacling happened 2,000 years ago. It's important because that is when God secured our future. That, that coming was in order for Jesus to die, to win our forgiveness as we saw last week. There's lots we could talk about about that coming of Jesus. But I want to look at another time that God dwelt or will dwell, dwell with his people. Turn with me to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Revelation 21 is not just the end of a book of the Bible like Exodus or Revelation, it is where this entire creation is headed. In this vision, John describes a new heaven and a new earth and listen to what he says, Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully, dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. Now, do you know what the NASB translation says for verse 3? It's a bit more accurate. It says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. This is deliberately picking up on that tent from Exodus and saying in the new creation, God will dwell with his people. This is where all of creation is heading. And as comforting as it must have been for the Israelites to look over there and see God in the cloud... In the new creation, we are going to have so much more. It's not that God is living unapproachable in a tent. He's with his people. It's not just a matter of looking over and seeing him. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. He himself will be with them. Let me read it again. And if you are a follower of Jesus, just realize that this is talking about your future. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. God is promising here that one day we will be with him. He will be with us. And no matter what happens, no matter how bad things get, this 
is waiting for you if you're a follower of Jesus? What is it now that brings you pain? It'll be gone. What is it now that makes you worry? It'll be gone. What is it that makes your life miserable? It'll be gone. What burdens or griefs or past mistakes are you still carrying around? They'll be gone. But the new creation is not just the absence of those things. It's not just that our troubles will be gone. It's far more than that. It's that we will be with God. Oh, that our longing for the new creation would not just be about wanting our troubles gone, but it would be about wanting to be with our wonderful God. Because this has been what creation has been longing for ever since Genesis 3 when we were kicked out of the garden. Whether you know it or not, this is what you've been longing for since you were born. This is what we groan for because God's given us his spirit and we already have a taste of this, of God dwelling in us, but this is fully it, to be with him in the new creation. Look, you might think that when you die or when Jesus returns, it's going to be kind of like a moment of truth. A bit like when I turned the key in the car and I wasn't sure whether it was going to start or not. Or not. You might be unsure about what happens after you die. You don't have to be unsure. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is what is waiting for you. God is waiting for you. And when Jesus returns, there will be no doubt, there will be no hesitation. Corinthians says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, you will be raised, you will be changed, and you'll be with him in this new creation. And no matter what this life may throw at us, nothing can snatch us out of his hand. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Let's pray. Father God, one of the big lessons we've learned from the book of Exodus is that you are faithful and you keep your promises. So many times in the book of Exodus, Israel doubted you when they had no reason to. Because there was never any doubt that you would fulfill your promises to Abraham. Father, help us to learn from their mistakes. Help us to not have any doubt that you will fulfill the promises that you've made to us. And so thank you for the promise that your Holy Spirit in us now is a deposit guaranteeing the future. 
that because Jesus died and rose again, when we trust in him, this, this future spoken about in Revelation 21 is our future. And Father, help us to look forward to it and to, to confidently know that it's ours. But Father, help us to look forward to it not just as an absence of pain, not just because all the hard things in this life will be gone, but help us to look forward to it because we will be with you. Help us to know you better. Help us to know your love for us so that above everything we would be looking forward to being with you. Amen.